0: What's up, Funkers? We're back. I got AA in the house, American Airlines, Alyssa Arnold. How you doing?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm doing really well. I'm doing really well. Thank you for coming over. I know you had a late night last night.
1: Thank you for coming to Houston just for my podcast. <laughs> I really appreciate
0: it. It's not ape week or anything like that. <laughs> no. So it's- you
1: I- literally flew to-, flew to Houston for a 45-minute podcast just right. with me. Right. right.
0: So... Yes, I'm honored to be in the same room. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Thank you. And I think this is actually the first time we've met in person. It
1: is. It is. After, gosh, it's almost a year of us like talking the phone and passing work back and forth and getting to know one another. So it's good to meet in person for the first time.
0: Definitely. So we were initially introduced from Jordan Oye. Yes. Right. Who's somebody that certainly I trust and I really like uh, and was introduced to me through a friend. So how do you know Jordan? What's your background with him?
1: So I am um, had started a consulting firm and was working and looking at unique ways to pick up new clients. And I got reached out by Rig Up. They were trying to start a project uh-huh. management um, component, and he had a couple work projects and stuff like that. So he passed some stuff to me, and then as he you know graduated onto his next role, just kind of became friends. Realized we're both entrepreneurial spirits, and um, just kind of. Became friends. I think he's even invested in one of the deals that I've done. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I I love Jordan. Um, and and I feel like there's just some spirits in this world that you're just drawn to, and he's one of them.
0: Totally. And he doesn't like frivolous frivolously create introductions. So when he's like, I was telling him about what I was doing with Funk Futures and building various businesses and and branching into the startup tech world, he's like, "You need to meet Alyssa." And I really enjoyed meeting you and, and still enjoy getting to know you. In part, we've both got three kids, right? You're invested in a lot of different things. I'm invested in a bunch of different things, more so with time than money, but still some money component. And we're both like keenly aware of the oil and gas tech, the energy tech startup scene, what companies are up to, and kind of take notes back and forth. So like, give us a little bit of your background, who you are. Um, where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? What was your career before you went full-blown entrepreneurial?
1: <laughs> so, um, went to a graduated in December of 11, <laughs> um, and came out of school. I was a civil engineer. I was expecting to do land development, and save the world. I did research papers and, you know, low impact development and water resources components. And then I got an offer from oil and gas and it was twice the amount of <laughs> civil engineering. So right. made a hard left turn and, and started at Oxy um, in the facility engineering role. At that point, I had no idea what facility engineering meant. I didn't know what a workover rig was. I knew really nothing. Um, and I had a really great group. Um, we were in Hugoton, like a real small kind of So it felt like almost a family-owned company. And so we got to see oil wells, gas wells, saltwater disposals, Mm. water floods. We really got just a full view of the oil and gas industry, which I think helped a lot. I learned everything there um, and had just a really great young team who we were all learning together. I got moved to Permian then, inside. And then I moved over to Sheridan, which is a small kind of entrepreneurial Uh. company. Lisa Stewart's just incredible. Um, and she really empowered us to kind of think of things differently and really empowered us to to make help make decisions that were good for the company and wasn't as corporate structured. So um, then I got pregnant with my first son, okay. married my husband, who I had met at Oxy. Um, he actually went to Sheridan first, so he pulled me over to Sheridan, to be fair. That's cool. Um, and then we had our first son, and I, I didn't really want a traditional job. I wanted something a little different. So I quit. I got my P.E., Um, And then just started kind of working odds and ends. I helped Sheridan a little bit still. Um, And then because it was so entrepreneurial, a bunch of people started spinning off and going to kind of these small startups and started pulling me in to support and slowly just kind of built a consulting agency out of um, happenstance. Um, So now we're at, I think we're onboarding our seventh person this week. Wow. Good for you. Yeah. So growing, you know, slowly and steadily, we've been operating for about five years and um, not you know, not moving super fast, but I think that's, that's nice. Um, so we're all operators. We kind of support operators in that same mentality that we grew up in, Mm. um, really understanding what the bottom line is, what management wants to see. And so we kind of approach consulting a little differently than I think the traditional consultant does, um, which has been really successful for us.
0: So Atex consulting, Atex energy consulting, Atex energy consulting, and you run this with your husband.
1: I do. So um, I started it. And after about two years, I was like, I can't do this alone. We had two kids at that point. And so I was like, I need you to quit. And he's a reservoir engineer. So he made good nice. money. He But he quit to come home and you know kind of manage the life, manage the children, manage the business. Um, and it ended up freeing me up to go do other things that I was passionate about nice. as well. Um, And then he's been able to plug in on the reservoir and and production engineering and really bring that expertise to the business and to the clients. So it ended up being a really great move. It was very scary when it happened. I bet. Um, We actually, um, we wanted to be up in the woodlands. And so we bought a house up in the woodlands while he was still on salary because it was easier to get a mortgage.
0: Obviously, right. That's a, that's a whole podcast in and of itself. (laughs) Wow. Um,
1: And so he, we bought a house. He was still working full time. We renovated it. He quit. We moved up there. Renovated a house. Um, so it was, it was a very stressful thing. But looking back, it's like wow, we, we unlocked so much by taking that risk. Um, so I'm really glad we did it, but it was scary. I, there was multiple days where I like had stress breakdowns because I'm paying for all of our insurance now. I'm oh, paying for right. you know everything. Um, but you know we we built a good safety blanket, so we felt good about it.
0: So so from a consulting standpoint like your career you worked for Oxy they don't get much bigger than Oxy unless you're working really for a super major and then you worked for Sheridan who I'm familiar with but people outside of oil and gas or maybe even outside of Houston aren't really familiar with has that carried over into the types of clients you have now is it a mix between helping majors and also helping small privates So
1: I work I have one kind of more major client but they started very small. Okay. And so I've helped kind of, I've been along the ride of them building up and acquiring more and more and becoming more of a I wouldn't say major, a mid cap. Right. Okay. Um, but I think our really sweet spot is with a lot of these PE backed type businesses that are portfolio companies and they have a reservoir engineer, a landman, a geologist, uh, you know, and a CEO, and yeah. they don't want to hire a facility engineer full time. They don't, they don't want to have an environmental engineer on, they don't want a regulatory full on, um, and so we're able to touch in and touch out as they need us. Um, and, and that's kind of our sweet spot, I think is kind of those smaller operators sure. who want to be compliant. They want to do the right thing, but a lot of times they don't know. And it's cool. Cause we oftentimes get the response like, where have you been? We have been looking for you. Um, so we really, um, that that's exciting to us cause it kind of proves the point.
0: Do you feel like there's a point where you'll tap out? Where you have too many clients, or do you think at this point you're kind of set up to scale and can, can continue to add other consultants to help you?
1: That's the goal. I think. Um, I think we're trying to approach it differently and very productized, where it's very replicable. And every client has their own nuance, but sure. we're tr- tempting to pass those savings on. Where I'm not sure every consultant has that same mindset, and I've never been a consultant, so I can't even say it in the back end of their businesses, but. When I worked at Oxy, working with consultants, it was very costly. So we're really trying to decrease that. So it's sure. somewhere in between there, right? Because right now it's, you know, either the construction guys just building it based off what he's seen before without any engineering put behind it, or it's this really big, burdensome, kind of overwhelming engineering package. So we're trying yep. to find that middle ground, give enough that it's engineered and safe. But it doesn't have to be so engineered that um, people don't even think it's approachable.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is, it's a timely topic, at least for me. So if I think back to a year ago when I was down here for NAEP, I really wanted to build like a big consulting firm. And what I started to learn as I got deeper into it last year was that the people that wanted to do business with us were doing business because they wanted to work with me. And I don't say this with any hint of ego, but I do have the 15 years of experience. I have the role at c level contacts. And, and oftentimes, not all the time, when I pick up the phone or I text or I email, people do respond. And as I started to add more and more consultants, I started to realize not all of these people have the same network. They might not have the same work ethic. And certainly they're not going to care the same way because it's my company, right? It's my name on the wall. And this is my dream and my passion and what I've kind of worked my whole career toward building. So I started to take a different approach and actually scaled back and realized, okay, if what these people are really expecting is to work with me, then I'm going to work in a way where they can actually get value from me and what I'm hoping to do and not sort of roll the dice and hope that if I pay other people to do the work that they can get it done. So I admire that you've been able to do that cuz i think it's a big challenge and it it's a blow i think to some people's egos too and it's like you know what maybe i haven't set something up to scale but that's okay yeah. right so really cool that you've been able to do that
1: and it's why it's taken 5 years to get 7 people <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i mean i got really lucky my my first hire um even before jason my husband came home to work with us was a guy who had been let go from one of the BHP, you know, fallouts and sure. sales and he didn't want to leave Arkansas. Um and I was able to offer him something remote. So it was really seeing um finding what what people want and need out of the job and kind of working around that and he brought a, a level of expertise I didn't yeah. have, right? So like that to me was a really smart hire and now the hires we're making are more tech or junior level engineers that can either work under us and We can push work down to them and then push savings to clients like that's really important to me. You shouldn't be paying for my time to do what it's what a tech is fully capable of doing. So and then it it just it gives us gives me more time to then be able to have those touch points with the clients that are more important. So, um, yeah, I think it's finding that balance, but it's moving slowly. For me, I didn't want to build a consulting firm that was 20 people in a year because I just didn't feel like I could keep the quality that was coming out and really keep the ethos of the business. Um, and I, it honestly, I think it's more profitable, smaller, and I can still keep all the touch points and we can do really high quality work, um, really intelligently.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fascinating because my whole background has been in sales and in sales, you're told to really just care about the top line, right? You just want to create revenue. And then the other problems just become other people's problems. You can figure out profitability. You can figure out hiring and delivering all the stuff that I sold. So early on, I did what I did best, which was sell. And then I'm like, "Oh shit, I have to deliver this yeah, stuff now too." it's the project too.
1: management piece of it. <laughs> I'm like,
0: oh man, right. So now there needs to be like monthly reporting and invoicing and accountability and weekly meetings or biweekly touch points or face to face or client visits. And I'm like, okay, like this. I just bit off a little bit more than I can chew. And I think that that's something that. If I could go back and tell myself a couple years ago, it's like, don't, maybe don't be so excited. Take it just a little bit slower. But fortunately I was able to bring in Dan Locke and help, you know, he's more of like a retention specialist. So he created more processes and routines from his days building SaaS companies that were really helpful for me um, because there was just no way that, and even do some fractional CFO work because, you know, as a founder, like it's you're the CAO, the CFO, the VP of Sales, right? The IT lead. I
1: just banged my head against the wall trying to reconcile my QuickBooks. So I
0: totally get it. <laughs> I totally
1: get it. It's yeah. um, it's painful. Like the yeah, the the uh, January is just hard. It's always hard as a business owner. Um, especially now it's like three businesses and it's like, Oh, I have to do this three times over. Great. Um, but yeah, no, I, I understand. I think you came at it from a different direction than I did. Right. I didn't know sales. I didn't know consulting. And so for me, it was really learning how to dislocate myself from projects. That was really hard for me because I'm so used to owning them all the way through. So there was a lot of learnings there. And, um, because none of us came from consultants, we didn't really know, Kind of how to package these things up and what hourly rates were supposed to be and you know all that kind of yeah. so there was a lot of learnings on that end from me. I don't know the sales piece, so that's the part that's like really hard for me in and in a step out and we haven't mentioned, but I have three children, and two, six, four, and two. So I don't I don't have time to do networking events and stuff like that. So you have the solution to my problem <laughs> and I have the solution to yours. <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely. But um, yeah.
0: So you, in addition to Atex you also have invested in a number of different companies, including digital wildcatters, yep. right? So really cool. Um, and I think I even set you up with Colin to you have did. that initial you, conversation.
1: You were the connector. You which were.
0: which is what I do. And I love that it worked out because I have such a passion for what these guys are doing being community builders. And I sort of look at it in the same way that Colin does. And And I want you to chime in on this. But I think Colin and Jake look at it as if you build something really cool, right? then you can eventually monetize that when it comes time. And they didn't do a lot of that early on, but now they've got like really large scale events. I think they've kind of teased the idea of possibly building out technology. They're bringing back the energy tech nights. What attracted you specifically to like digital wildcatters? And then we'll talk about some of your other companies, but in the relative infancy of digital wildcatters, like what drew you toward wanting to be a part of this uh, community from an investment standpoint?
1: So, I might come at this a little backwards, but i um I've spent the last two years looking at investment deals and really understanding um the buckets and what's important and what a truly scalable company looks like and things like that. So I came at it from probably a little bit more of a not so emotional standpoint of yeah. why I love it i I loved the content, of course, and I love the applicability to the oil and gas industry, and I know that it's ripe for disruption so I do have those kind of components, but I love media businesses. So ah. that was the first lens I looked at it through. And and media businesses are really interesting if you look at them. A media business can be anything from a marketplace to a website that you go to for information, to a newsletter, to a community, to events. It, it can be yep. all of those things and any of those things and that's what gets me really excited with digital wildcatters is i think they have the the capability of really building audience being this trustworthy place and leaning into all of these different monetization strategies um it's and it, it, i have i'm actually invested in several other media companies so oh, I, it's cool. something that i do love and so when you sent it to me i was like media love it i love audience i think um being captivating is Monetization and it's uh, is a revenue stream in itself to me as an Definitely. investor, um. So that that's what I was really drawn to initially.
0: So tell me a little bit more about is ATEX the investment arm, or do you have a separate company that no, does the investment? Do,
1: so um, I'll I'll go back. So ATEX Energy Consulting is the consulting. ATEX Energy is um our an investment arm that invests in oil and gas holdings. Okay. So oh. we do we do own some wells and things like that. Um, well. Working interest, yeah. In like wells. you're a working yeah. interest partner on <laughs> in these
0: wells. It's like if you're drilling wells. No, too, we're oh not drilling
1: God. wells. We're not drilling wells. No, not that. <laughs> not that crazy. My father did, but not us. Oh, um, cool. And then um, Pearl Influential Capital is this SPV generator and investment arm. I do a lot of investments personally too, um, but where we're trying to really make um, early stage investments available to people who might be interested in whether it's consumer or media or tech or fintech or whatever those components are. Um, we're getting the deal flow, so we kind of want to make it available and then take away some of the, the barriers to education that I think are in place right now. It's like kind of segmented that only like these really rich white men know about these deals. And, or, totally. And so we're trying to break that a little bit and and make it available. It was really hard to get involved in these. When I first got involved in this investment, I wanted to do consumer. I wanted to do something I could touch and feel um as we were making money in oil and gas i wanted to diversify to this like what i was interested in as a woman and things like that um but it was so damn hard to find a deal flow so once we were able yeah. to turn that on and and really get going it was like shit there's other people out there like me so let's make it available to them um so that's kind of been the ethos
0: of pearl and you've you've really kind of leaned in at least what i see into helping other female entrepreneurs Right. Is that part of the ethos and the mission of Pearl as well, or has that just sort of evolved naturally?
1: Yeah, I I it is. Um, I like really I really love female consumer products because that's me personally. And sure. I think the best founders and creators of that are gonna be females who really understand the paper points. Um and then we really started learning about how little funding they get and kind of the challenges and barriers. Um and I think both sides of the spectrum really struggle. Um, because I there was even a social post I saw that was like, do you want a family or a family office? And I'm like, why does it have to be one or the other? Why right. would we teach our girls that? It can be all of the above, but you have to set yourself up for success and you have to have realistic expectations. So I think it's more, um, I become more and more interested in, in engaged in that female space as I've seen the void spaces and and realized that a lot of what's being put out there is incorrect or, or, you know, construed and misconstrued.
0: Yeah. I mean, I personally like following a lot of the sort of celebrity female entrepreneur types because I think that they just come at it from a different viewpoint, right? Men traditionally have a place that they're supposed to go out and be the businessman, right? They're supposed to be the leader. So it's almost like it's turning the whole game upside down when you say, okay, well, here's a woman that's kicking ass, but she's also a mom, right? She's also a wife. And like, I see my wife is capable of so much more than me. I'm a pretty capable individual, right? But she's just like, she gets up in the morning. She doesn't need as much sleep. She makes breakfast. She kicks ass at work. She drops the kids off. She picks them up. And it's like, there's just something innate with, I think, a lot of women that, men aren't able to balance as much, which, which make, I think a great entrepreneur because you're constantly getting shit thrown at you.
1: Yeah. And I also think it's like diverse thought, right. Is so important in a yeah. boardroom or any kind of corporation. And so, you know, when we're looking at companies, when I'm looking to invest in companies that are 15, 20 people, if it has all females, that's not necessarily a positive to me, right. right? Because I think there's a balancing of diverse thought. And to go back a moment to you know what you're talking about with your wife I think it's really building a partnership and being really clear on what your goals are as a family right so like my husband's done an amazing job stepping in as kind of the primary parent role mm. so that I can be free to do those very things cool. there's not a lot of um, marriages that can have that conversation and I I'm very passionate about I every successful female entrepreneur that has children has a very supportive husband, not every, but most have very supportive husbands because it's such a grind and it's really hard. And sometimes you're not as available as you want to be, but having a partner that kind of fills in those voids for you is so important. Um, and so I think it's a team effort. I I think, again, it's that diversity of, of support and thought that it's so important. Um, Single moms out there that are entrepreneurs, incredible. Okay. I don't know how you do it, like mind blown. Um, but I do think building like a really positive partnership if you have the capabilities is is one of the keys to success there.
0: Yeah, and that's that's a team game for sure, right? It takes two to tango no matter what. You threw a post on LinkedIn over the weekend and it just really called out to me. Um, you were heading to Vegas, I think to visit with some of your um companies that you invest in, yep. right? And we're like, man, here I am about to get on an airplane on a Sunday and I'm really going to miss my kids, right? So you wanted to get some focused one-on-one time with each of your three kids because they all require that, especially at two, four, and six. Yep. I mean at all ages but especially when they're that little. It's hard
1: for them to understand what Mommy's going to do. Yeah.
0: Totally. Yeah. And and you're going out there and and that's what you need to do for business and you're choosing to do it, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't tug on your heartstrings. And it re- brought me back to um 2016 when my girls were 6 and 4. So not too dissimilar yeah. to the ages of of your two oldest. And I remember it was like every Monday I was flying in Midland and like I, I legitimately was sitting in my car and like, I just wanted to cry. Like I may have actually cried, but I was just like, I hate this. Like I hate that I'm leaving every Monday night and flying to a hotel just to pitch people. And you know, you, you get into this routine where it feels normal but it just felt like I was starting to dread it on Saturday or Sunday. And then that meant that I wasn't as present during the weekend. And then I wake up Monday and I'm bummed that I'm leaving. And it was like, why am I doing this? And everything seems so challenging. And eventually that phase sort of passed, but I think we all sort of go through that in our work lives. And I thought it was a good reminder and very authentic and real of you to put that out Because that's sort of the unseen part of grinding in business. You see all the hustle porn, but then you actually, what you don't see is when you're trying to balance a marriage and raising kids and a family and a social life with business, like something's always going to be sacrificed.
1: It is. I, 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 will tell people like all that I do and all the balls I juggle. And they're like, how do you do it? I'm like, I don't have friends. That's how I do it. (laughs) I mean, really, I don't like, I have a husband and I have children and I have work. That's, that's what I do in my life. And so it, it really is about that. But I always go back to, you know, what I struggle with the most is like, why am I doing all this? I'm doing this for my kids and I'm leaving my kids. And so that's where like that that cycle occurs and it's, it's painful. And I, I don't think they even notice it really nearly as much as I do. And I'm not gone very much. I, thank God, don't have to do what you did. I I used to, you know, at Oxy, we'd go out every two weeks and I didn't have kids at that point. But that was still really hard for me just to be out of my normal um, process and um, away from my husband at the time. So yeah. I I can't even imagine going every single week um, and leaving your kids, not just being part of your process. But um, it, it's it's a challenge. Um, it takes a lot of, you know, the night before, I'm like, oh, Maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe I have too much work. Like I I go through this whole like reasoning of why I shouldn't go and things like that. So it, it's very interesting um, on how much we don't want to travel, um, even though it's like, oh, aren't you going to be glad that you're away from them? And you have time by yourself. and It's like, no,
0: no, really not.
1: I really like their laughter. I like their cries they like being there to hold them and um, we we work from home we've always worked from home we have a nanny now that comes five days a week but if they have a boo-boo mom's there or dad's there yeah. if one of us is on a call like those things are so amazing to me and that's the reason why I really started Atex in the first place was to be able to be there for those things so when I have to travel it's hard because I'm like this is against what I'm what I built this for but um right it's imp- it's it, you know it's important to be there in person sometimes so
0: well, there's like a. I, I think I had, and maybe even have in some ways, like a fucked up set of values where I was traveling like that because I felt probably deep down this insecurity about falling behind in my career, but I wasn't thinking about how I was falling behind as a parent. And that was a really big deal, I think, when I had that realization to be like, wow, like, I've really sacrificed a lot of what really matters and that'll mess you up. You know what I mean? That'll put you into therapy and that'll put you in a place where you're like, you're not going to get that time back. And it doesn't matter how much you think that your company loves you. They'll just get rid of you if you have a bad quarter or if you're too expensive or if there's a downturn with negative oil, like, and that's their right. So Yeah, I think that, like, the construct that we have in this country a little bit is designed for you don't want to fall behind in your career if you're a high achiever, but then you're probably going to sacrifice something else. And I think a lot of people do sacrifice that family time. But as an entrepreneur, I think I've been able to find a little more of that balance Mm -hmm. because I think there's just more choice involved.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's like, oh, I'm going to work Saturday while they're taking a nap, right? And things like that. (laughs) But to be fair, I took maternity leave with my son. I did not take maternity leave with either of my daughters. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, my husband tells the story all the time that I literally took a conference call on the hospital bed while oh I was delivering my God. In Did you my really? Daughter. Yeah, because it was really important and I didn't want them to screw it up. So I had, you know, I had to be there. Um. So, and, and there's, there's not the systems built as an int- entrepreneur to be able to hand things off to someone. And so, you know, it, it, damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? There's always going to be an upside and a downside to every lifestyle. I think entrepreneurship's beautiful and it's really neat. And, you know, it tells me I need to do more authentic content around being an entrepreneur is freaking hard. Um, but it's also really rewarding. And like you said, I can work all day Saturday and all day Sunday and make it to my kids four o'clock play if I really wanted to, you know, I can, I can kind of set my own schedule and things like that. So that's super helpful. And I also, what I love about entrepreneurship is I'm not capped out. I can earn and keep earning. Totally. Also makes you a workaholic. So damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah. Like,
0: (laughs) you know, My mindset didn't really change when I launched my own company because I never did a good job of shutting off from work. I was always living to how much money am I going to make? Or am I close to hitting my number? Does somebody need me? In sales,
1: it's still very entrepreneurship, right? And in engineering, it's like, this is your salary and there's a bonus potential, but it probably is not going to change that much if you work 80 hours versus 40. So, you know, I think that, I think that's mm. the difference on the engineering side. There weren't like these huge commission potentials or anything like that that drove us to work harder and longer hours. But now, you know, every time I plug in, every time <laughs> I bring out a new client, every time I do more work, it's more money. So it's, you know, it's hard to turn off and relax. So I'll turn off for the kids and then I turn right back on on the bed while Jason's watching TV at night. But that's funny. Uh, I love work. I love what we do. So, um,
0: it's also that it's, it's enjoyment for me. Yeah. Like I don't know. You, you I've only known you to generally be happy, right? So it's hard for me to picture you miserable, but I think that that mindset is important cuz I have found myself pre-entrepreneurship be frustrated with with roles like comparing where I thought I should have been to where I actually was in my career and and that's a really brutal place to be. Because for the most part, where you think you should be is not where you are. Very few people, like, I'm gonna go to this NAEP conference. Like, there's very few that are there that they're like, this is where I expected to be. And if they are, like, good for them, more power to you. But you still need to be able to find happiness, even when you're in a spot where maybe it's not your dream job. Right. And I think that's a bit of advice that I would have given to my younger self is, You're still going at a pace that you'd be proud of if you thought about when you were younger, even if in the moment you're struggling to see the value of the position that you're in or that this is the means more than just a means to an end. I'm curious what advice either you'd give to your younger self or advice that you'd give to young entrepreneurs that are thinking about making a shift away from their W 2 jobs.
1: So I think my entrance into entrepreneurship was a little unique, right? I think it was a little accidental. Um, I didn't seek out to run a consulting Mm. firm and things like that. So I think that's kind of interesting. But I also think like following your path is something super important. Um, Follow the the leads that you have, give things a try, believe in yourself, but really not trying to plan what milestone you're going to hit and not try to go out with these really big expectations, but Follow the path. Keep looking for, you know, if there's a new regulation, we jump on it. We want to own and know that regulation before anyone else. We want to be able to give our client guidance so we can upsell into that, right? So I think it's really looking for the opportunities, being smart about which ones you choose to take. Not every opportunity is a good one. Yep. Um, And and really just following the path in front of you um, and the opportunities and keeping your eyes open for them. Because I think a lot of people, like, put their head down. They're like, I'm going to build a company doing this And then there's this path over here that could be really profitable and that opens up, but they're so dead set on this one path. Really being able to like turn yourself and go the direction that the market's open to and that, you know, your personality or your background might be the most beneficial for.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know not chasing every white rabbit <laughs> that yeah, tends to I think, run by. Yeah, I
1: think that's important too. And I've I've learned that, right? As we've had other consultants come to us, can you do this? Can you do that? It sure. used to say yes to everything, right? right? Um, and it was good. It was really good learnings for me. I would go down these rabbit holes, realize like this is so much work and there's so little profit in it. But um, I was, you know, initially a yes man, but it was, it was good learnings. But now that we're at the stage that we are, it's easier for me to say. Let me find you a connection that I think can do that. Um, maybe sometimes there's commission. Maybe it's just goodwill and and yeah. making connections and network. But um, I think it is learning. Like, what's your sweet spot? What are you good at? Um, and and being able to to turn, say no.
0: Yeah. No. I I couldn't agree more. And it was almost like it would pain me to turn some business away. It does. And now it's a little bit like. I mean, I guess it depends on when you ask me, but it's like, you know what, like so-and-so could be a better fit. And that could even be somebody who six months ago I viewed as a competitor.
1: But in doing that, you're building your network and building this, this goodwill that is actually so powerful. Um and I, I think that's the other thing I would say as advice is like build your network. Yeah. I think I used actually the not to plug digital wallet counters, but I used their podcast to build a network. I would reach out to people on LinkedIn. I heard sure. your podcast. I felt like we might be a connection and we connect to them that way. Um, which is sounds it sounds kind of creepy, but I did it during COVID, so that makes it a little bit better, right? We were all <laughs> <laughs> We were um, all at
0: home. We had nothing to do with yeah, this. But, but but
1: because I wasn't able to network, right? I was either nursing a baby or I was pregnant and just couldn't make the time for it. Um, That was my way of networking. And so really leaning in and, and making connections to those people and letting the world know what your strengths are and what you can do.
0: Yeah. I mean, and I'll say this too, as a content creator, like nothing makes you feel better than when somebody reaches out and says, I got value from listening to you on a podcast, whether it's me on a different podcast, whether it's listening to mine, it just makes you feel validated. It doesn't matter if you have a thousand downloads If nobody comes up to you and says that they get value or that they appreciate it. But that one person, those two people, they say, Hey man, I heard what you were saying about this topic. And that really resonated with me. I'm like, wow, first of all, cool that you listened. And then second of all, thank you. Like it really does make my day. And I think a lot of content creators days, because most of us don't get paid to do this, right? We view it as somewhat of a means of building out our brand, a way to connect with more people. And then ideally to create opportunities for our business, right? So I think that's one of the things like this room has been filled all day with various different podcasts. And to me, that's just cool. Like this is an industry that has been a little bit behind technologically in the office, right? Digitally, not at the wellhead, but digitally. And now there's like seven hours worth of content that are just going to come out of this room. And that's really cool. You know, Uh, all right. I want to play a quick game with you. Yeah. I didn't prepare you for this. You didn't
1: prepare me for this part.
0: (laughs) I'm going to say, I like doing this now. I'm going to say a name and you're going to have to say the first word that comes to mind.
1: Oh God, this could be really dangerous.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And it could be anything. It could be a company, right? It could be a thought, but we'll start with this. Sarah Blakely.
1: Amazing. Inspiration.
0: Nice. I,
1: could, I could give you a bunch of those. those
0: we'll just stop with that. Okay, those, there you go. those two are good. Um, Colin McClelland.
1: Amazing inspiration.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you can't use the same.
1: Uh, innovator, I think.
0: Julie McClelland.
1: The brains behind it all.
0: Yes. Yes. Um, Vicki Hollum.
1: I want to say innovator again. Honestly, she, um, she's very forward thinking and ballsy.
0: Yeah. grinder. you know, like there's a few different things, but I think that with her like work ethic got her really far. I actually met her about 10 years ago at a conference when she was running the Oxy California asset, which is now CRC, CRC. And, um, she just worked, you know what I mean? She was relentless, tireless worker. So when she ultimately was brought here to be COO, and then CEO, it just didn't surprise me, right? Like whether she's a female or not doesn't really matter. She's strong and confident, but it showed me the power of really hard work.
1: Yeah, and and really forward thinking, right? She's yeah. always trying to be ahead. And I think there's something so powerful about that in the oil and gas industry because there's not a lot of people doing that. I don't. I think a lot of people are just trying to replicate the successes that they've had and don't really want to, Find new successes or new avenues or new bit lines of business or revenue sure. streams. And there's something really refreshing about that. Um she's she's fearless.
0: Fearless. That, Maybe that's that the Anna
1: Darko play. Love it. Fearless.
0: That made big time news, it, you know?
1: It did. I mean, it was timed terribly thanks to COVID, but it's
0: still a long play though, right? Like yeah. if you have as much experience as she has, 40 years or whatever, in the patch at that point. You know, I've noticed this too, even with myself, now with 15 years oil Northern Gas, I don't see it as doom or gloom or or amazing upside every single time that there's a swing because commodity prices are going to dip and they're going to rise. And you start to see that more the longer that you're in it and have faith, almost like Bitcoin, right? We've kind of been through a number of these ups and downs now that even if you bought a bunch high, like if you believe in the thesis of it, then you should continue to buy low and believe that it'll come back stock market same kind of thing right kim kardashian
1: horrible (laughs) (laughs) um i mean she's an incredible brand builder and but i i just don't really personally like her never watched the kardashian shows i I did watch real housewives so i do like trashy tv just not the kardashians never did
0: Yeah, there's something that feels dirty about it, but I'm older than you. See, I'm old enough to remember that her dad was one of OJ's lovers. Yeah,
1: yeah. I I know the whole story, but I did not watch the trial. But, no, she's an incredible brand builder, incredible um, businesswoman. Just, I don't know, ass out on Instagram just turns me off.
0: It's a little much. Um, Houston, Texas.
1: Home. I mean, I've lived here my whole life. I went to College Station, lived in a... hour and a half radius my whole life. Um, I think it's um, blood. Is that another good word? For yeah. it? <laughs> oh my God, uh, no, that's funny. No, it's home for me. Um, and I'll it'll always have a place in my heart. I would love to have another home outside of Houston during the summer though, because I do hate the heat. But
0: Well, you know, Colorado's pretty nice in some places we, too.
1: We love Colorado and... The East coast. Like we really want a house in Maine. Like that's on the vision board. I well,
0: know you know, what. I'm from New Hampshire, so. Oh, um,
1: good. You can give me some pointers on what to do in winter. Cause you know <sighs> living in Houston, my whole life, I don't know.
0: Ooh, it's rough. I mean this, this winter in even here, like this week has been kind of crazy, but in Colorado, it's been like a very East coast like winter, which makes me appreciate how nice the weather usually is there. <laughs> yeah. Cause it would be like six months of gray But it's sort of like that's the penalty for the reward you get of the summer and especially the fall. Like, it just doesn't get any better than the fall in New England.
1: Yeah, our lack of seasons really is a hang-up for me, too. But it's home.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Hook them horns.
1: Ugh. (laughs) (laughs) I married a Red Raiders, so I probably am more guns Guns up. Guns up! I am more guns up. Um... Then I even am Aggie anymore. I mean, my kid only wears Texas. Really? So. Interesting. Yeah, I know. That's probably like terrible to say. You might need to delete that.
0: No, we're not going to. (laughs) Um, And and like a final thought, right? So the day that we're recording this, my favorite athlete, Tom Brady, retired. Oh, gross. And I think, let's not go there. (laughs) I think that it's for real this time. (laughs) <laughs> like I wish that he waited a little bit longer. I think every football player wants to retire like two weeks after the season ends. Sure. Cause their bodies are just broken at that point. But Tom Brady, uh, obviously an amazing athlete, an amazing leader. He's going to be a great businessman and, and really do whatever he wants to do. Like his stock will continue to rise. But what's interesting with my kids, right? So my daughters, even though, I've lived now in Colorado longer than I've lived anywhere. I lived in New Hampshire for the first 18 years. I lived in Boston for five years and now I've lived in Colorado for 20 years, but I still root for all the new England sports teams. Like it's very much ingrained from like my childhood and, and there's just no way that any of that's going to change because of the Patriots and Tom Brady. And all the success that the Boston sports teams have had in their lifetime, like my daughters are for sure New England sports fans, despite never having lived there. I think
1: that's the success too.
0: It is. But now my five-year-old son, like he's already wearing like Bronco stuff. And I can see how this happens, right? So it was sort of like all of that success bred me to be like, no, you're going to root this way. And they're always like, we know who Tom Brady is. They follow him on social media. And my son, because of his age, doesn't have that tie as much, right? The success has started to wane a little bit. And I would imagine that like, and he's totally free to do this, that he's going to root for Colorado teams.
1: It's interesting. Yeah. It's almost like language, right? Where, yeah, where you, you keep the accent, but then as you get further away from it, you might stray from it. And then your children have no resemblance of your accent. Um, so I, I do think it's based on the nostalgia of it all. Do you take them to games?
0: Yeah. I mean, we've yeah. been to Fenway Park, right? But most of the games and things they've gone to are in Colorado. Yeah. Right. So like sure. I took my daughter, Sydney, to the Celtics Nuggets game. And I'm like, you need to wear a Celtics jersey. And she's like, okay with it. But my older daughter likes to like be more of a hater of what I'm in. So if I brought her, she'd be like, no, I'm going to wear a Nuggets jersey. <laughs>
1: Well, I think it's also like that hometown feeling of like rooting with other people, right?
0: Root for the home Home team, right? Home team
1: and like feeling like it's your team. And I mean, it's a a whole feeling.
0: No, it's a vibe. It's
1: a vibe. It's a total vibe.
0: Well, this was super fun. I do have one last question for you. So you invest, you're invested in what? Like 15, 20 companies? Is it something like that? 25. 25. So, and like with your kids, right? You don't pick favorites, so sure. of these twenty-five companies, like how do you find a way to love all of them equally or candidly? Like as an investor, do you not?
1: I don't. Yeah, no, I totally don't. Um, so some of them I'm invested in through syndicates, and so those are you know one step removed. Sure. Um, and then some of them, um, I see that they can use some of my consulting and development and M A and kind of all the skills that I've honed on the consulting side. I can see that they can utilize it and I can be a piece of it. And so a lot of those, um, I'm either advisors on or chief strategy officers on. Um, so that that's kind of a need base and then there's driven equity out of time, like yeah. you discussed. but I also usually do financial investments. And then some are a little bit further along and feel less risky to me. Or
0: yeah.
1: I know we're talking to acquisition potentials and and my money might not have to be in as long. So every one of them is just so different on different spectrums. Um, and so it really depends on where we are financially at that moment, too, on how much I feel like I can give um, and what Ooh. makes sense for our family at at that point in time. So every relationship with every founder is extremely different. Yeah. Um, so it is like my children. Um, some of my children, some are like my stepkids, I guess, you know, because they're just like a little removed. I'm still really invested in them and really went good for them, but not as physically like part of their growth
0: experience.
1: Um, but it's, um, it's made me a better business owner on the consulting side, just seeing all the challenges and the way that they're accessing consumers and a lot of what they're talking about and uses. And I didn't know marketing and I've learned so much um, and just, you know, just centralized being around other female entrepreneurs has also made me realize, like, I have a great situation and, and it's put a different spin on life. Um, and it's given my kids more, my daughters especially, more female entrepreneurs to watch and support Totally and cheerlead. Um, so it's been, it's been a gift. Um, it keeps me busy, but it's my hobby at this point.
0: Well, good for you. Where, where can people find you?
1: Oh, gosh. LinkedIn is probably the best yeah. place. Um, I'm sure you'll tag me somehow there. Oh,
0: you're definitely going to be tagged there. <laughs> Alyssa Arnold, Atex Energy Consulting. Is it Empresista? What's the...
1: Entrepreneista Entrepreneurista. That is the other media company. But Pearl Influential, Pearl is, influential. Okay. is the investing company. Um, yeah, you can find me and I post all the time so that you can click my links and find all my stuff.
0: Well, thanks for coming on. Thank you for coming into the office today to meet with me. I'm going to go do the NAEP networking thing and start meeting people right and left and shaking a million hands. But thank you for making the time to come down here today. I appreciate it. Thank
1: you.